Good morning, church. It's so good to be with you again on this Resurrection Sunday. So glad that you've joined us as we worship and as we celebrate together the resurrection of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of a, a story I heard about a preacher named Bill. He was a really good man, a really good preacher, but one day he did something he never dreamed that he would do. He overslept one Easter Sunday morning and missed the sunrise service at the church where he was preaching. And he was just completely embarrassed about the whole thing. Of course, the elders in the church forgave him. You know, it wasn't that big of a deal, but they did give him a little bit of a hard time about it moving forward. But the next Easter, the next Sunday, that next Easter, uh, he received a, a call. His phone rang and he was jolted by it early in the morning at five o'clock in the morning and he scrambled to answer his phone. And so he said hello. And the voice on the other line was one of the elders from the church where he was a preacher at. And the elder on the other line said, Bill, it's Easter Sunday. Jesus is risen and I suggest you do the same. Well, Jesus is risen, and we're glad that you have done the same this morning, although your resurrection's a little bit, little bit different than his resurrection. He raised from the dead, you just from your sleep. But we're glad that you raised from your sleep uh, this morning to join us. And even though we're not together physically, uh, we proclaim together, we celebrate together that he is risen. He is risen indeed. We're going to jump right into our teaching time this morning, into our passage. So if you would go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 20, that's where we're going to be for much of our time this, this morning, today. Uh, we're going to be skipping around a little bit in the Gospels and picking up some different accounts, but uh, for the most part, we're going to be in John chapter 20. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles or in your Bible apps, or you can follow along up here on the screen. Here's what John writes, starting in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. While it was still dark, John says, and certainly John's words speak to the literal darkness as it was still early in the morning, but, but it was also still very dark in Mary's heart. She had just endured the saddest days of her life because Jesus had died. The same Jesus who had cast seven demons out of her that had tortured her for years, the same Jesus who had given her life and meaning and purpose, who had redeemed her, but now he was dead crucified. And no one could do for her what Jesus had done for her. No one had cared for her, loved her the way Jesus had loved her. And now he was gone and she was overcome with grief. And not just grief, but perhaps maybe a little bit of disillusionment with Jesus as well. I mean, he had promised that he was the, the Messiah. He would, had claimed to be that promised Messiah. And she believed that. But then when he was in the garden and they had came to arrest him. He surrendered to them. And like any mortal, he died and was placed in the tomb. No doubt Jesus was a compassionate friend and exceptional teacher, but the long-awaited Messiah, Mary wasn't quite so sure on this dark weekend. And so early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary went to the tomb. Now, the other Gospels make it clear that Mary was not alone when she went to the tomb. She did not go by herself. At least a, a few other women accompanied her as they brought spices to anoint Jesus' body. The Jewish people didn't really believe in embalming, and so they would wrap the body in linen and spices. But because Jesus had died so on, or on the Sabbath, uh, they couldn't finish the process. The Sabbath was a day of rest for the Jewish people, and so they couldn't finish 
the process. And so early in the next morning, when the Sabbath was over, they came to the tomb to complete the job and to pay their final respect and love for Jesus. Mark's gospel says that as they trudged toward the tomb, they were asking each other, who is going to roll away this huge stone at the entrance? Of course, they'd seen the stone placed in front of the tomb after Joseph of Arimathea had buried Jesus in his own unused tomb. Maybe the women weren't aware that the religious leaders had insisted that the stone be secured and sealed and that Roman soldiers were, were stationed at the entrance to make sure that no one tampered with the body because they wanted to make sure that the disciples didn't steal the body and claim a resurrection. And so early in the morning, Mary, and, Mary Magdalene and the other women went to the tomb and, and they saw that the tomb, the stone, had been removed from the entrance. Now Matthew's gospel gives us some details about what happened just minutes before these women arrived. He says in Matthew chapter 28 verse 2, there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow and the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And when the soldiers came out of this coma and they saw that the stone had been rolled back and that the tomb was empty, there was no body inside. In a panic, verse 11 says that they raced to the chief priests of the Jews to tell them what had happened. Instead of arresting them or punishing them, the Jewish authorities bribed them, giving a huge sum of money to them and said, if anybody asks you what happened, just say that the disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. That false narrative actually circulated among the Jewish people who were skeptics for quite some time, even though it was completely implausible. And so when the women arrive and they find that the soldiers are gone, the stone is rolled back, the tomb is empty, and they don't really know what to make of it. John chapter 20, verse 2, So she, Mary Magdalene, came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. That's John's way of referring to himself. And she said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. And so Mary reacts seemingly different than the other women do to this news and this, this scene of what's going on. As soon as she sees that the stone has been rolled away and she hears one of them say the body is gone, she draws a hasty conclusion. She makes a grave mistake, if you will. She assumes that his body has been stolen. And so Mary quickly leaves the tomb and she races back to Jerusalem to share this information with John and Peter. You know, sometimes some of us, we, we like to be the, the, the first with the latest news. Sometimes it's a way of making us feel important if, we have the, if we're the first to break the latest news. But sometimes in being the first to share the news, we don't always get all the facts straight. And by leaving the tomb early, Mary Magdalene missed out on some key pieces of evidence that should have convinced her that the body wasn't stolen at all, but that Jesus had in fact risen from the dead. First, the stone had been rolled away. Now to be clear, Jesus, or excuse me, Mary saw that the stone had been rolled away, but she didn't take the time to think about who moved it. I mean, the soldiers aren't going to move the stone. They're stationed there to make sure it's not moved. The, the disciples aren't going to move the stone. They're hiding away for fear of being arrested or even killed. And the soldiers are there to prevent them from doing it anyway. The enemies of Jesus aren't going to move the stone. They, they want it to stay there. 
And if they did steal the body, they could just produce it later and, and say, see, here are the, the, the claims of this resurrection. That's just, that's baloney. Here you go. Here's, here's the body to prove it. And so who moved the stone? Well, the only plausible conclusion is that God did. That an angel of God moved the stone just as the Bible said he did. By the way, I think it's often easy to view the order as the angel moving the stone so that Jesus could walk out of the tomb. But just to be clear, Jesus didn't need the angel to move the stone so that he could walk out of the tomb. He walked out before the angel ever touched that stone. I mean, if, if Jesus, you know, if, if death can't hold him, then certainly no stone, no matter how big, is going to prevent Jesus from walking out of that tomb. Second bit of evidence that Mary Magdalene missed out on was the appearance of the angels. Luke's gospel says that while the women at the tomb were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes gleamed like lightning, stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Now, if Mary Magdalene had seen those angels and heard that testimony, she would have concluded that the body of Jesus was not stolen. But instead, she would have testified, just like those other women did, that, that he was, in fact, risen and alive. Third piece of evidence of the resurrection that day was the reminder of fulfilled prophecy. The angel said to these women, Remember how he told you when he was with you in Galilee that the Son of Man would be handed over to sinners and that he would be crucified and on the third day he would be raised again. And the Bible says, Then they remembered his words. In all the confusion and chaos of the week's events, they had forgotten that this is exactly the way Jesus said that it would happen. And then there was one other powerful piece of evidence, the grave clothes. And the grave clothes were left behind. I mean, what hurried grave robber would take the time to remove the clothes in the tomb as he's trying to take the body? It just doesn't make sense. And, even, and so even before Jesus was seen in person, even before they saw his body in person, the other women had sufficient evidence to conclude that Jesus' body had not been stolen, but that he was alive and risen. But Mary Magdalene missed out on that. She had raced back into Jerusalem and, and she said to Peter and John, they've taken the body of the Lord and we don't know what they've done with it. Verse three says that so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I, I love that part just because that, that's such a guy thing to do. I mean, John's like, I just want to let you know I beat Peter the tomb. I'm, I'm faster than Peter. And so he bent over and looked into the strips of linen lying there but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, just in case you forgot, also went inside. He saw and believed. Now, what did John see in those grave clothes that made him believe in that moment. Well, I think he saw the grave clothes in the form of a body, like the body was just gone, and so the grave clothes just sink. I mean, after all, if Jesus, as we read later in the Gospels, is able to walk through walls in his new resurrected body, certainly some grave clothes won't present much of a challenge. And John says, when I, when I saw that, 
I believed. So where's Mary Magdalene in all of this? She's probably exhausted, but she's running back to the tomb. She's raced all the way back to Jerusalem to tell Peter and John to get them. Now they've run ahead of her and she can't really keep up. And plus it's been a long weekend already. And verse 10 says that Peter and John had left. They'd gone back to, to where they were before. And so Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb. And this time she's all by herself. Verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she, went, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Now, why didn't she recognize Jesus? Some say it was because the sun was coming up and maybe it was in her eyes and she couldn't see him. Others say that maybe she was, had been crying so much that it was just clouding her vision. I, I don't know. But I do know that there are a number of times that we read after Jesus rose that he wasn't immediately recognized by his disciples. For instance, later that same day, Luke chapter 21 tells us that Jesus' disciples, a couple of them were walking on the road to a place called Emmaus and Jesus joins them on the road. He talks with them about the events of the, the preceding days. He opens up the scriptures and talks to them about the scriptures, but they don't recognize that it's Jesus until they invite him into their home and they begin to break bread with him and they pass the loaf to him and, and then he reveals himself to them that he is the resurrected Messiah. I can't help but wonder if as he's passing the loaf or them to him that they see the nail scars in his hands. And then in John chapter 21, after he's raised from the dead, Jesus is cooking breakfast for his disciples along the shore of Galilee as they're out fishing. Eventually they come to shore and they join him. And there's this strange verse in, in John chapter 21, verse 12. Jesus said, the de said to them, come and have breakfast. That's not the strange part. Here's the strange part. But none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Now, why would you ask or want to ask who is he or who are you when you know it's the Lord? Obviously, there's, there's something different about this resurrected body of Jesus. It reminds me of the, the guy who went back to his high school reunion, his 50th high school reunion. It was the first time he'd been back in many, many years, hadn't seen many of his friends from high school. And afterwards, he said to his wife, he said, honey, you know, some of my classmates have aged so much that they didn't even recognize me. It's kind of like the opposite, though, for Jesus. I mean, you think about the last time they saw him, he was being beaten, hung on a cross, and buried in a tomb. But now he has a resurrected, glorious body, and they don't immediately recognize him. Mary doesn't immediately recognize him. There's something different about him. And so verse 15, Jesus asks her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking it was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will get him. She thought he was the gardener. Isn't it interesting that the resurrected Christ isn't mistaken for a soldier or a shepherd or even a passerby? He's mistaken for a gardener. The first Adam was put in charge of the Garden of Eden to take care of it, 
to tend to it. Of course, he messed it up, and we've messed it up ever since. But, but the second Adam, Jesus, is going to be the gardener that straightens it all out. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. You know, I can't help but notice how understated this passage seems to be. Wouldn't you just like to see it on replay? <laughs> just to, to get a video of just the expression on her face. One minute she thinks he's the gardener. The next minute he calls her by name and immediately she knows who it is. Her eyes get as big as saucers. Her mouth is agape. This big smile begins to form on her face and tears not of sadness, but of joy, begin to stream down her face. Rabbi, Jesus, it's really you. You're alive. I can't believe it. Rabbi, she grabs a hold of him and she doesn't want to let go. In verse 17, Jesus says, Do not hold on to me, Mary, for I have not yet ascended to my father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God. And your God, understandably, Mary doesn't want to let go. I mean, it's been the darkest night of her soul, and now it's the most joyous, most brightest moment of her life. She wanted to hold on. But Jesus tells her, don't, don't hold on to me. You, you can't just stay in this moment, but rather take this moment with you because this, there, there's still a message to proclaim. There's still others who need to hear the message of hope that I am risen from the dead. And that really is the heart of the resurrection story. The resurrection story is a story of hope. It was the resurrection of her Lord and her Savior that renewed and restored Mary's hope. And the message of the resurrection is that that same power is available for you and me to renew and to restore our hope, even in the most dark and, and sad moments of our lives. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Paul says that I pray, I pray that just like Mary on that resurrection Sunday, that your eyes will be opened to see the power and the hope that Jesus brings. And in fact, it's actually through Mary that God brings the first tidings of that power and hope. She's the first one to see the resurrected Lord and Savior. In a time where women were to be neither seen nor heard, the resurrected Jesus commissions Mary to be, a, to be an apostle, if you will, a messenger to the apostles. He tells her to go and tell others about what she has seen, and it's her voice that will be the first human voice to proclaim history's most profound truth. I have seen the Lord. Confusion becomes conviction. Horror transforms into hope. Weeping 
is replaced by witness. Mary Magdalene, who was once terrorized by seven demons, is saved by Jesus once more. And her intended acts of faithful kindness to his lifeless and battered body become the turning point of human destiny. And for us, the journey of this one woman reveals the marvelous truth that each of us so desperately needs to hear. You are known. Your tears are seen. You are valuable. You have a mission. No matter who you are, no matter your past, no matter your brokenness, no matter your loss, the resurrected Jesus longs to enter your life as Lord and Savior and give you grace and comfort, a new life, a new hope, and a new purpose. And if you ever doubted that was true, just look at the story of Mary and her trip to an empty tomb. You know, I was thinking about how different this Easter Sunday is than any other in my lifetime for a number of different reasons. But in particular, I thought about how so many of us are used to getting all dressed up for Easter Sunday. I remember as a kid, my mom getting my brother and I all dressed up. I mean, we got all dressed up for every Sunday, but Easter Sunday was just different. It was on a whole nother level. You know, we're, we're all dressed up and we obviously did not want to be dressed up, you know, but mom's like, well, we got to give Jesus our, our Sunday best, right? We're just concerned that the Easter bunny will give us his Sunday best, right? Um, but now most of us today are probably in our pajamas as we're all quarantined in our homes because of all that's, that's going on right now, which is why I find this story about this encounter between Jesus and Mary Magdalene so interesting and, and maybe all the more rele- relevant for us today. As we talked about, Mary initially thinks Jesus is the gardener, which is interesting in and of itself, but then he calls to her Mary. He calls her by name. And even more than that, he calls to her, not when everything is perfect in her world, not when she's all prim and proper with a smile on her face and she's all dressed up in her Sunday best, but he calls to her in the midst of her tears. He calls to her when it's still dark, both in the garden and in her heart. He calls to her while she's crying and confused and all alone in a cemetery. And I think we need to hear that about Jesus this Resurrection Sunday. He knows us. And he calls to us even when we're not at our Sunday best. He called to some smelly fishermen, a tax collector, a zealot who wanted to start an uprising. He hung out with prostitutes and the poor and he didn't tell them to go get all cleaned up before they came to him. And he didn't do that with Mary either. And by the way, Jesus doesn't just look like the gardener. He is the gardener. And he was there at the beginning of creation. He created the first garden where everything was new and fresh and no one knew sin. And the first thing he does when he's raised from the dead is show up as a gardener again at another new beginning. The beginning of a new week and a new life with something fresh and full of hope to share with us, to share with people who know sin and darkness and failure. People like a recovering demon-controlled woman 
a disciple who denied him, a greedy tax collector, and even people like you and me. You see, the power of the resurrection story is not just that Jesus has risen. That, that is incredible and amazing. But the power of the resurrection story is also that because he has risen, everything is made new and fresh and full of hope. And who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want something new and fresh and full of hope in our lives, especially in the midst of all that is going on in our lives and our world right now? And if you need something to grow in your life, you need a gardener. You need someone who knows how to cultivate the soil of your life and to plant those seeds of hope for a new life in you. And that's what Jesus did for Mary. And that's what he desires to do for you. Psalm 126 says, Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. And don't you know that Mary Magdalene, all the rest of the days of her life until the day she died, was telling people, I have seen the Lord. He really is alive. He really is the Son of God. He really does forgive our sins. And he really does promise us eternal life. And may we also, like Mary, proclaim that truth this resurrection morning. Especially in light of all that's going on around us right now. Because as Psalm chapter 30 verse 5 says, Weeping may remain for a night. But joy comes in the morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that on that Friday morning, he went to the cross. And he bled. And he died for our sins. Father, he was placed in that tomb. And death believed that it had won its victory. But Father, we know and we believe that death could not hold our Lord and our Savior. He rose from the grave. He conquered death. And because of him, we have hope, both in this life and in the next. Father, we proclaim today and every day that he is risen. He is risen indeed. And it's in his precious name, the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray all of these things. Amen.